Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast, the podcast focused on helping civil engineering professionals succeed by exposing them to interesting civil engineering projects and successful civil engineering professionals around the world. Hosts Anthony Fasano and Christian Knudsen had successful but unconventional civil engineering careers and now focus on helping civil engineering professionals achieve their goals in work and life. Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and this is the podcast specifically for civil engineers who want to succeed. In today's episode, I'm actually going to be speaking with one of our listeners named Joshua who contacted me. He's a new civil engineer. He's been working for about nine months, and he's facing a problem that I think is very important to both young civil engineers and civil engineering firms. And that is this idea of transitioning into the workplace and being effective and staying billable and helping your company right from the start. And we're going to tackle that in this episode. Not only am I going to talk to Joshua, but at the end of the episode, I'm going to read some responses that I got through LinkedIn when I asked this question to experienced civil engineers. So I think this episode will be helpful to, again, those of you at different experience levels and different roles in your firms. Before we get into our civil engineering conversation of the week, I want to take a moment to recognize our sponsor for today's episode, PPI. If you're thinking about taking the civil FE or PE exam, I recommend that you check out PPI, the leader in civil engineering exam prep. PPI is offering a special 20% discount to listeners of this podcast. Use promo code civil at PPI to pass.com. Again, that's PPI, the number two pass.com and use promo code civil for a 20% discount. I also want to take a minute to mention the online community that we're building for motivated engineers called the engineering mastermind. You can learn more about it at the engineering You listen to the podcast, which I hope is helpful for you, but wouldn't it be great to take and implement all the things we talk about and have a support community around you to help you do that? I've been running this community for years, but we've just made a major investment in upgrading the forum software that we use and implementing some other benefits that's all going to take place in January, which I'm super excited about. And one of the things that I'm committing to do next year is we're going to have what's called a focus forum every month for our members. It's going to be one evening every month where members can come on and talk about what they want to focus in their careers right now. And I can help them put plans together to achieve that. So some exciting things happening with the mastermind. And again, it was created for you, the listener, to take the podcast one step further. Now I'd like to introduce our guest for today's civil engineering conversation so you get to know a little bit more about him before we dive into the conversation. And I won't use his last name just in case he doesn't want to broadcast exactly who he is, but Joshua has been a civil engineer for the last seven months, specifically in the land development field, and engages in stormwater design, land surveying, and soil science. He previously worked with different tractors and heavy equipment to maintain property courses. His tasks include changing cup placement, watering greens, mowing tee boxes and approaches, and staking the course for water hazards. So obviously he was involved in golf courses. Like many civil engineers, he put it together the best he could until he got his job and got out into the civil engineering world. He also has experience in inspecting construction sites for compliance with regards to soil erosion and sediment control. Now we're going to jump into the conversation. Stick around for the end segment in place of our general CE hot segment where I kind of pepper the guest a bit. 
like I said, I'm going to read some pretty interesting advice from experienced civil engineers on this topic. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now it's time for our Civil Engineering Conversation of the Week. And this week, I'm talking to a younger civil engineer about some very specific points around transitioning into full-time work as a civil engineer, but also some topics that are very important to civil engineers of all experience levels, whether you're managing or whether you are just starting out around a good workload, how to maintain a good workload and, I guess, billability workload for younger civil engineers. Joshua, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thanks. It's good to be here. Joshua was a listener. He wrote in to me with some really good points on this topic. So I asked him if he'd come on the show to talk about these points, because I'm sure, like I said, they're probably challenges that many young civil engineers face, as well as experienced engineers that are managing engineers at this age level. Joshua, why don't you start by just explaining your background in civil engineering and your experience level for our audience? I am a recent civil engineering graduate. I graduated in May 2016, and I went to a four-year school to study civil and environmental engineering. And I had a previous internship the summer before, 2015, with the state government, and I was exposed to a lot of environmental regulations in the construction field and in the DOT fields. This summer, I got an intern summer position working um, under a survey crew and working um, underneath the wetland specialist for the firm. I was doing a lot of field work all summer, and um, I worked very hard, and then they offered me a position um, in September for a full-time civil engineering position. That is my experience thus far, as far as different positions that I've had within the civil engineering field. Now, do you take the position, or are you still up in the air on that? No, I took the position back in September, so I've been working as a full-time salary employee for about three months now. Okay, good. So we have... Joshua's perspective from someone that took an internship sounded like the internship offered good experience in some of the varied fields, learning a little bit about wetlands, being in touch with some other disciplines, which is a huge positive. And then Joshua has transitioned in now, or at least is in the process of transitioning into full-time work. It's been a few months. And Joshua, let's talk about the transition from your perspective. What has been helpful for you in your transition so far? What has been helpful with me is has been a lot of communication with my peers, the guy, men and women that are around my same job level. They've obviously have more experience than I do, whether they've worked for the firm for a year, two years, or three years. They have very close to the same perspective that I'm in right now. And I was able to get a lot of, you know, reaching out through them and I was able to get they know what I'm going through and they were able to help me ease my transition and, you know, calm my nerves. I think nerves is one of the biggest things when you start a new job and it was even even with me, I've been around some of these people over the summer. I worked in the field mostly, so I wasn't around a lot of them, but I wasn't brand new and it was still nervous now that I'm a full-time employee and now that I'm in the office most of the time. And it was really nervous and nerve-wracking, I would say. And I think it is for a lot of young engineers to, to go in and, and try to make these friendships. And uh, I was lucky that around, I had a lot of young engineers that helped me out and get me through. Yes, nerves can be a huge factor for younger engineers for a good reason. The reason being is that this is a very technical field. So if you become a civil engineer and you're all of a sudden thrown into projects that have a massive impact on people and you feel at all not confident about something technical or about working on projects, it can certainly be very, I mean, you could be anxious for sure. You could have a lot of nerves around that. So Joshua, it sounds like you had a good support from the team who's probably similar experience levels on projects that supported you, that helped you. 
Tell me about some things that might have been helpful that you didn't have or that might have made it easier for you just in thinking and trying to help other engineers out there to be able to transition. There's a little bit of a lack of communication with the higher ups and my project managers. Um, I was obviously assigned a supervisor, a direct project manager, and some of the communication in the training sense was left in the beginning couple of weeks a little bit unsaid. And it was kind of, that was where a lot of the anxiousness and the nerves came from was, oh, I'm not sure how to do this. I, I'm not quite sure what the st- company standards are. And if I get asked to do something, how am I going to do it? Who am I going to take it to? Those were the, kind of the battles that I faced. And, and training is, is one of the hardest things. And that's one of the things I'd love to talk about in this episode is training is a hard to do in no matter what field it is. And especially when it's in a technological field and we're doing very complicated work, taking an experienced engineer off of a project to that's not that now non-billable to help me out. It, it really takes a lot of time. And if you're in a busy, if you're in a busy time period with a lot of deadlines, I understand that it's hard for the firm to do that. But uh, a little bit more communication would have been a little bit better, I think. And more communication, the better in that sense. And it would have been able to, you know, calm my nerves a little bit and let me move on and let me kind of feel a little bit more at home. Joshua, when you say that more communication around what was it around the specific issue points, items, where would that have been helpful? Well, more of what I would be expected to do and what I'm expected to know. This was I also had a problem with this, and it was one of the things that I got better around as the weeks went in. And my transition now, I feel, is really smooth, is what I was supposed to know and supposed to be able to do, what was expected of me at this stage in my career. I'm very green, obviously. I don't have a lot of the skills. My AutoCAD skills are, are growing, but they're very elementary level right now. And, you know, just kind of having that open line of, this is what is expected for you to do. This is what we want you to work on. And I want you to be able to get to this point by then. So one of the episodes that you guys did about, you know, you have the 30, 60, 90 days plan. So I have a 30, 60, 90 day plan, but I want to make sure that that plan also coincides and works well with the company's 30, 60, 90 day plan for a new hire. That is the communication that I think would really, it would excel and make the transition a lot smoother. Yeah, that's an excellent point. We did do the Civil Engineering Podcast, episode 41, Strategies for Starting a New Civil Engineering Job on the Right Foot. That was Daniel Hayes, and he did talk a lot about having a 60 to 90 day plan, and Joshua makes an excellent point in that it's great to have a 60 to 90 day plan, but you definitely want to ensure that your plan is similar to your company's plan, or else you could potentially be going in opposite directions, which is not good for anyone. And for those of you listening, I hope you're taking something. I mean, this is valuable what Joshua just said, I think, in that if you are starting a new position as a civil engineer, you should be, I don't want to say aggressive, but you should be very clear and have a very well-defined plan to understand, figure out a way to best understand what is expected of you, whether it means straight out asking, whether it means having meetings, whether it means talking with HR supervisor. That's important. And then on the flip side of it, if you're one of the executives or the supervisors or manager of civil engineers and you have a new hire, you can see just from Joshua's perspective, because he just went through it, is that that's important. It's important for you not to just assume that because you hired them and because they have a job description that they know exactly what's expected from them. I think civil engineering is anything but a black and white profession, meaning it's not like you show up and do the same thing every day. Every project is wildly different. Every client is different. Every meeting is different, and you can't expect somebody to look at a job description as a civil engineer and say, oh, okay, that's what I'm going to do. It doesn't work that way. So it's good to hear Joshua reinforcing that, and I hope if you're listening as a supervisor that you do make an effort. Make an effort to say, listen, we gave you a job description that's a couple of paragraphs, but in reality, there's a lot of things that go into civil engineering. 
And here's some things that we want you to look for and try to develop yourself towards. And I guess to that end, Joshua, let's talk a little bit about training because you mentioned training a bit. Training is certainly something that is a bit of a touchy subject in the engineering world. In the civil engineering world, everyone wants people to be billable 100%. I mean, the more billable you are, the more money the company's making because they can bill your time. Anytime that you're working and you're not billable, it's essentially just an expense for the company that they're, they're not necessarily going to recoup unless they recoup something, unless you do training and then you're able to benefit from the training and, and make up for that. Joshua, what are your thoughts on training? Was there anything communicated to you about training? Was there any requests you made for training? Talk to us about training in general. Yes. I mean, I asked quite a few people, some of the more AutoCAD advanced engineers, I asked them for some help. And if they would give me a quick tutorial, I reached out in some of the downtime I had in the first couple of weeks where there wasn't a lot of work coming in and they kind of just hired me and then, but it was really busy and I hadn't quite gotten any work. Is there any, I asked, is there any tutorials I can do? I went on Autodesk's website and was trying to do everything I could to just go over and just try to get the basics, make sure my basics were exactly 100% good. And that way, you know, I could build from there, make sure my foundation was sturdy. And that obviously got, was going pretty quickly and I was still running out of time. But one thing that the company that I work for that does really well is they're really trying to do, they're going in the lean direction. And they do this thing called standard work, and they have all of these instruction seats that do standard procedures, whether it's, you know, an alignment or a road corridor. They have these standard worksheets that are pretty much a step-by-step instruction on how to do them. And that was really, really helpful because that was training that I could just look at on the computer, look up these instruction sheets on the network, and I could make a, get a great stab at it. And sure, some of them, there was still confusion and I wasn't able to do it 100% perfect, but I was able to get something on the computer, something on the AutoCAD, something part of the project done, and then bring that with really good questions to peer or a supervisor. And that was really good. And I really like that training aspect of having these standard worksheets and guidelines for doing certain tasks. That's great. So in the realm of training as a civil engineering company, if you're thinking about this relationship from the, again, from the manager side, having training materials that make it easier, whether they're processes, checklists, manuals, guidelines, that is really going to facilitate the training process. Number one, I think it'll make, as Joshua just said, it's going to make the new employee's job easier. It's going to basically make their transition easier and they're going to be able to become billable quicker, which I think is a great thing for everybody involved. I mean, that's what you want. It's going to cut down on your training time from that perspective and it's going to help to get this person in a good place mentally and being able to build, which is worth a lot. And there's two different things when you think of training. One of them is the training that I think Joshua just talked about, which can be thought of as onboarding training, which is someone gets hired and you want to get them on board and into your guidelines, your habits as soon as possible. The second type of training is professional development training going on and going forward. And I've learned more about this with my involvement in doing some training courses for the Seller Doer Academy for Civil Engineers with Jim Rogers, which has been really enlightening. The point is, is that it's two different investments for the company. I mean, if you invest in hiring a new person, as a new civil engineer, let's say, then you're going to have to get them onboarded and involved in understanding your processes and guidelines. The question is, how efficiently can you do it? Then the second question becomes, how much time, effort, and investment are you willing to make in training your staff going forward, right? So that once they are working, are you going to take the time to get them trained on civil 3D? Or are you going to get them time trained for the selling skills when they get to the point where you want them to bring in business, softwares that you use for customer relations, whatever the case may be. 
Those are big decisions that you have to make. And I think from what you heard with Joshua, that that's important for staff to understand how much a company is willing to invest in an employee. And I know I worked for a company a long time, which I've mentioned before, called Mazer Consulting. And Mr. Mazer himself was very, very pro career development and support. And I think that's part of the reason I became so passionate about doing a lot of career development work for engineers because I had the support like that. And I think that that makes you feel great as an engineer. Joshua, did you have, other than the onboarding process, which you talked about with some guidelines and some specific sheets and checklists, was there any discussions during the hiring process or, or that you've had to date about future training with the company, whether it's your PE license support or anything like that? I've had some brief exposure in that. And they've talked about how their goal is to have every engineer become a professional engineer and that they will do anything they can to ensure that that happens. You get your valuable working time underneath the licensed PE, that if you need any training review materials for any of the courses, that they will be offered to you. They have gone above and beyond in that sense of a professional development. I work in a, a land development for a land development firm, and something, a professional development is extremely needed in this field, and, and it works well with business development. And if everybody um, is on the same page and going forward, you need to grow and, and become bigger. I really feel like in this field, you can't just be in the IT forever. You can't just, you have to continue to grow and you have to, and if the company's mindset is aligns with that, that'll be very good. And I'm very fortunate here. I feel the same way. Yeah. I think that's always an important question to ask when you're considering a, a company is, will there be opportunities for professional training and development for myself? I think that's important to know going in. And I don't think that necessarily any company is going to say no, because I think a lot of companies support it in some regards. The more information you can get around it is great. Like if someone says, well, we'll pay for your PE exam, we'll pay for your books, we'll pay for a course. We have some master's degree reimbursement programs. Those are tangible items that you can start to say, wow, this company really is invested in building their engineers to become professionals, to become knowledgeable in the subject matter. And I think that that's really, really important because quite frankly, at this stage in your career, I say it all the time, you need to be a sponge, you need to soak up information, you need to learn, and you want to be in a position to do that. It's really, really important. All right, so Joshua, the last point that we'll jump into, which is an important point, one of the main things you contacted me about was this idea of workload. So you are a young civil engineer, you get, start to work with a new company, there's certainly going to be some onboarding and some training that we talked about, but at some point, you're going to be... I'm sure right away you'll be expected to be billable, but everyone understands there's training in the beginning. Talk to me about that, about the fact that you're responsible for being billable now, but you're still new, you're still young. What does the balance look like there? How do you get work? How do you keep up with work? How does that look for you right now? For right now, it's actually been really well. This past month, I've kind of jumped into certain projects and luckily we had a couple um, some business come in that was urgent and deadlines were close and my help was needed no matter how good, how proficient, how much billable time was kind of thrown out the side. It just had to get done no matter what. And so that, um, my schedule has been really full. But in the first month or two that I worked, it was slower. First month was really slow. And it was kind of intimidating because that billable concept is, I think it's a very new, it's a new thing for young civil engineers. I worked as an intern the past two summers and billable wasn't really a thing. I came in, I, I worked at seven in the morning, punched out at four and that was it. I, it was all intern training. And now that you get jumped into this billable idea, it's kind of an intimidating fact. I had a tough time feeling out I'm doing a project. Should it be billable or where's my time going? And it's kind of overwhelming at first. I hear you. I remember that as a supervisor myself. 
managing a small civil engineering land development department, that was always the challenge was keeping people billable, keeping people moving and then keeping up with your own stuff. So I could see where that's a challenge for managers. And I think just talking as a manager from trying to give some advice to both sides of the coin on the managerial standpoint, I think it comes back to understanding the capabilities of the individual, which will take a little time to learn. And maybe that's where some of your training comes on board. But then identifying the tasks in a project that you think you can let these newer staff run with. I mean, quite frankly, you may have to let them run with something and even make a mistake and then you'll catch it when you check it. And it's better off than having someone that holding work back from people and putting them in a position where they're trying to figure out how they're going to get billable. They kind of feel like they're slow. They don't have anything to do. I think that's a really bad place to put new staff in. I mean, if anything, there's always items you can have them as a backup pile of work. Like for example, There may be some codes to review, which I know is not the most exciting thing in the world, but you want to have some backup work available to these newer engineers so that if they do get stuck, if you're out of the office, if they finish a design and they don't have someone to review it for a couple of hours or a day, they know that they can go into AutoCAD Civil 3D and run a couple of sample cut fill calcs or something along those lines. Or they have a code book or the city guideline that you want them to get familiar with because you do a lot of work in this one city. So I think having a set amount of tasks, productive tasks in the background that are available for the engineer to reach to when they get into a rut or when they finish something and they're waiting for someone to review it, I think is important. I also think that you have to challenge them and you have to let work go and understand that there's going to be mistakes made. And obviously, when I say mistakes, man, I mean, these are mistakes that you're going to catch when you do a review. It's not like something's going to go out to bid with mistakes on it. If you don't let a younger engineer try and be creative and do things and make mistakes so that you can help them through it, then quite frankly, you're going to have a lot more problems than them just not being billable because you're not going to be able to keep a team running effectively. Those are a couple of recommendations for the manager. And then some recommendations for someone in Joshua's position would kind of be the opposite. You should also understand things that you need to work on and have kind of protocol for if I'm down if I have nothing to do, if someone left for the day, if I finish something that hasn't been reviewed yet, there's a lot of things I can do. I can study the local guidelines. I can practice some grading or drainage exercises through CAD because I want to sharpen my skills. I can do some research online with some of the clients that we work for and start to understand them and understand how they work. I can maybe talk to some of the other people in the office or sit with them for a half an hour and watch them do work on a plan or a set of specifications so I can get the feel for it. It's up to you. I mean, you can always say, I have nothing to do and I'm bored. There's plenty of things you could do to develop yourself. I mean, quite frankly, we've got 150 podcast episodes on our website that if you completely have nothing to do, listen to one and implement some of the skills and that's going to help you in the long run. I think there's responsibilities on both sides here to stay productive. I'm not going to say you're always going to be billable, but stay productive. And I really urge those managers out there to challenge engineers like Joshua Civil engineers today are really smart out of school. We've got great academic programs that are giving them tools and analytical tools that they have. They just probably haven't applied them to a lot of real world practical situations. And now you've got to let them do that. And I think it's kind of your responsibility. Joshua, do you have anything else you want to add on these points? Anything that you've done or that you experienced in your first few months that might be helpful to either side of the coin here? I mean, you hit the nail right on the head there with a lot of things with having a backlog of stuff you can turn back to once you've completed small tasks that or you get to a point where you're stuck and you're waiting for someone to help you out and you can't move forward. Having that backlog work is something that's extremely 
helpful. And one of those that one of the ones I used, which you mentioned was going over state and city regulations. And because you can never be uh, caught up enough on that many regulations, especially in the land development field. The thing was, is just that is still scary when you're looking at the billable point of view of it. This is not billable. And I think we touched in the beginning is communication and keeping those communication lines open between, you know, if you reach out to your supervisor and say, hey, this is what I'm doing in my spare time. I'm not just sitting at my desk looking at Facebook or YouTube. I'm here looking at these regulations and I'm studying on-site wastewater treatment system regulations and DOT regulations. And I think that communication line is extremely important to settle the nerves and then your billable hours are and non-billable hours make a lot more sense from a project manager's point of view when they look at the time card and see this is what he or she has been doing with his or her time. That is my big thing and my big advice. What Joshua said right there is exactly the approach I would take. If you're reading the city guidelines and highlighting them, your own copy, and you go to your boss and say, listen, I'm in my downtime, I'm reviewing the city guidelines, I'm making some notes, I had a couple questions, could we go over them? That tells me, if I'm your supervisor, that, man, this engineer cares, this engineer is motivated, this engineer wants to succeed because he or she could be doing whatever they want right now, but instead they're reading the guidelines, they're highlighting them, they're making notes, they're asking questions. This is the future of our company. And that person is going to be, that manager is going to be more inclined to give you more challenges when they know that you're in a position where you're looking forward to taking them on. So that's a great point. Joshua, as we round out here and close out the conversation, maybe you can just share what are some of your short-term goals here now that you're in the company for a few months, you've been moving along, where do you want to head? My short-term goal is kind of get as much experience as I can within the firm. I'm lucky my firm has quite a few different spots. There's definitely the engineering, site design, land developments point of view, but we also have a very large survey department. And I really want to make exercise my ability to dabble in survey drawings and see if maybe a professional land surveyor might be a career field for me as opposed to a professional engineer. We also have a couple of wetland scientists on staff, and I would love to be able to go in there and see what they do and see if maybe the environmental science, environmental engineering field might be a little bit towards my career path. We also have an extremely well-developed business development sector and uh, getting experience in how some of these deals get made, how these proposals go out to bid, how we get new work in. And maybe as I can take my engineering foundation and go in the business development field and, and That's my big goal, short-term and kind of mid-term, to be able to see what part of civil engineering is really me. And I'm lucky at the firm I'm at, there's a lot of options. Thank you for sharing that, Joshua. Thank you for listening to the podcast, and thank you for coming on and sharing this information. It was really helpful. Oh, thank you for hosting it. It's been really good. I shared it with a couple of my professors, and I, I think it's something that every civil engineer from freshman in college to senior project manager should be able to be, should listen to, because it is really good information. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now it's time for our CE Hot Seat segment. And in today's episode, I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to read off some comments from a LinkedIn post that I made about this topic of transitioning and staying billable as a young engineer. And I'm going to link to the discussion in the show notes so that there's reference given to all those who offered their advice and comments, which I truly do appreciate. By doing this, you're helping a lot of civil engineers develop. And our hot seat segment is brought to you by our sponsor, PPI. Engineers often ask me what exam prep materials or review courses they should use when preparing for the FE or PE exam. Hands down, I recommend PPI. I personally use PPI's materials 
to pass my exams, and I recently had a chance to demo their civil FE and PE review courses. It's why I feel confident recommending PPI for those of you planning to take the next step in your career. PPI is offering a special 20% discount to listeners of this podcast. Use promo code CIVIL at PPITopass.com. Again, that's PPI, the number two, pass.com, and use promo code CIVIL for a 20% discount. And I just want to say I do really appreciate PPI sponsoring our content. It helps us to keep it free for civil engineers. And PPI is also going to be expanding their sponsorship next year in 2017. And they will be also sponsoring the Engineering Mastermind community. And for that, once again, we're really grateful. So now, as I said, I'm going to read off these pieces of advice from experienced civil engineers for young engineers transitioning that also may help engineering managers in helping to productively manage young and transitioning civil engineers. First one is a true mentor is vital to acceptance and growth. Attention to detail is very important. Timeliness is paramount and constant learning is vital. A new civil engineer should not worry about not having enough work. That is his or her supervisor's issue. Any extra time should be used to absorb and learn everything they can. Life really is a self-study course. Learn, observe, question, and improve every day. Again, great advice. The advice I give often to younger engineers is be a sponge. Soak everything up. And the part about a mentor is dead on as well. Find a good mentor and be a sponge. All right, the second one here. I could share my experience of working as a fresh graduate on a construction site. The only thing that got me to grow and learn is the curiosity to know. And I was fortunate enough that my company had planned a training module for the fresh graduates and also assigned a mentor. It did guide me to dig deeper into the various aspects of the construction and the training module focused on things that are important for running the construction business. I always try to ask questions to project managers, construction managers, accountants, billing engineers, storekeepers, subcontractors, vendors, superintendents, supervisors, foremen, and laborers. I am really grateful to my team and people I met along the way for sharing their experiences with me. The most important and the very first step is to be humble and respectful to people around you. There are so many things to learn every day. I get involved with MEP team to push myself out of my comfort zone and learn about MEP things as well. Be curious. This is a great one. Again, emphasizes on learning, talks about a mentor, but also talks about don't stay in such a defined lines, right? Broaden your horizons. I talk about all the time on the podcast. Talk to laborers on a construction site. Ask them how they build something so that when you're designing it in the office, you have a better handle and you can design it in a more practical way. Don't think just because you're not involved in MEP that you shouldn't learn about it a bit. Civil engineering is like a big puzzle. Every project, there's all kinds of pieces that go together. And if you know a little bit about each of the pieces, you're going to be able to put the whole thing together better. Next one, I must second the attention to detail comment. It is a key attribute that will take you far in the industry. Another key is remembering that learning never ends. Education will get you in the door. However, experience is what sets you apart. Being able to combine education and diverse experience will open doors to success. Again, kind of a reemphasis of the first few points, but makes a really good point in that the combination of experience and knowledge in civil engineering is critical. Because you can get the best job in the world, but if you don't learn the right codes and continue to sharpen your skills, you're not necessarily going to go anywhere. And on the flip side, you can study all you want, but if you don't get the right job opportunity, you may not catapult your career. So there is a pretty good combination there. I got three more. Number four, being part of a great team makes it much easier to contribute. Finding a place you can be a self-starter instead of being given enough work 
sounds like part of the problem. So this is a good one. So what this person's saying like, is that if you're a self-starter, you don't necessarily need to worry about being billable because you're going to find things to do no matter what. And along those lines, I recommend that as a younger civil engineer, keep a list of things that you want to accomplish so that if you do have downtime, you can work on them. They could be sharpening your skills. And we talked about this a little bit in the episode, but they could be learning new codes. They could be doing something for your company, working on their LinkedIn page or something like that. Things that are still going to bring value. All right, number five, this person gave two points. Number one, take advantage of any opportunity to go into the field, even if it isn't your project or task. And number two, read anything and everything, especially the footnotes and commentary in standards, specs, codes, and handbooks. I am amazed to find experienced engineers who have never done this. Also study drawings and calculations from older projects. Again, invaluable advice. Definitely go in the field as much as you can as a young civil engineer. And if you're a manager, get your staff in the field on projects just to observe. And yes, read. I know I used to hate going through some of these specifications and sitting there in my office and reading them, but the more you read them, they do become interesting in some ways and they will give you a leg up if you can really understand specifications. Last one, it is great to hear about a young engineer asking these questions. I would echo the ideas listed above about learning and getting into the field. I have been on both sides of the coin as a young engineer not having enough work and as a supervisor not providing enough work. Be persistent and continue to ask for more tasks. So these were all great points. I mean, a lot of it is around learning, putting yourself in the position to get the right opportunities. And I love the one that was study old drawings and calculations. You can always learn and improve in your career. Remember that you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode number 47. You will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as a link to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. You can leave a question in the comments section or visit the Ask Us tab on the website. We do monitor all comments and will respond if you leave us one. I hope you had a wonderful 2016. Our plans are to continue to build the Civil Engineering Podcast in 2017 and continue to hopefully make it one of the best career resources available for civil engineers. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. Thank you for listening to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Be sure to visit civilengineeringpodcast.com where you can listen to past episodes and also submit your project to be featured on the show. We also invite you to visit our main website at engineeringcareercoach.com and download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also help to develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success. 